Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 363 of So You Want to Be a Writer. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre, where you'll find writing courses and a wonderfully supportive writing community. I'm here with Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author of The Firestar, A Maven and Reeve Mystery, plus many other books as well, but that's the latest one. How are you, Al? Well, I have to confess that, <laughs> well, there's always a well, isn't there? Yes. Um, it's either unfair to middling or, well. Um, now, I think last week we were talking about the fact that I, I have been uh, struggling with a title for Maven and Reeve 2. Yeah. Um, and I'm still struggling with that. So that's <laughs> kind of where I am. Every single day I'm, I'm kind of looking for new words and different things and trying to it's, – it's, it's, it's actually a really tricky one um, and I don't know why it's so difficult for me except that I'm trying to name it after – I want the title to be named after a thing within the book and the thing within the book is the thing that I am struggling to actually name. So oh. that's the problem. Yeah. Yes. That's the wow. problem. Wow. When, when do you have to figure it out by? Oh, you know, sooner rather than later would be good. <laughs> but <laughs> I'm not under a huge amount of pressure just yet. Um, I'm having some backwards, some from back and forth with my with my publisher over it. And um, you know, we've got we've got an option, and it's and it's a fine option. Like it's mm-hmm. a, it's a it's a fine option, but it's mm-hmm. just not ringing all the bells in my head that it needs to ring. You know when you just get that ding, 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 ding when yeah, you know that you've got the I right know. thing? Yeah. I've kind of got a ding, ding, not a ding, 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 ding. <laughs> okay, I mean. yeah, big difference. <laughs> yeah, there's a big difference. <laughs> All right. Well, the other book that Al is the author of, uh, co-author of, is So You Want to Be a Writer, which Alison and I wrote together. And we have poured our heart, soul and brains into this book and it's for anyone who is considering a career as a writer. Right, Al? It is. And I have to say that this one was not difficult to name. (laughs) We did not find it difficult to come up with a title for So You Want to Be a Writer. The book, um, but it does it does incorporate all of the things that we talk about regularly on the podcast into one easy, handy, practical, useful guide, and it also contains and this I think is the um, key to the whole mess is the it contains like like two hundred odd tips from working writers. So we've gone through and gleaned the best possible tips we could find out of many, many, many author interviews that we've done on this podcast. Um, Mm. And we've put those into, into the book as well. So it's kind of like if you're looking for something that just brings together all the stuff that we talk about all the time, this book Mm. is for you. Yeah, it's um. Uh, people have found it really useful because the way we've written it also is so that even if you have a day job, here is the plan laid out for you on how to become a published author and mm. and get into writing. So mm. we also have we know that this is going to be a popular Christmas present. So we've got a little bonus for you if you order online via the Australian Writer Centre. So it's certainly available at other bookshops and um you know online other online places. But if you order via the Australian Writers' Centre, where I think you get free shipping, if you order before the 30th of November, we guarantee that you will get signed copies, as in signed by Alison and myself. Mm, Signed by us. So just go to writerscentre.com.au slash book and um, you'll be able to order it from there. Now let's move on to the poll that we conducted earlier this, well, month maybe, uh, on whether people are plotters versus pantsers. Now, it's an ongoing poll and so many people have responded, like almost 600 people at this point in time have responded. And it turns out that it currently stands at 36% plotters and 64% pantsers. Does that surprise you or did you expect that, Al? No, I expected that. Do you know what? I think it's one of those things too that um, I think that um, a lot of writers will start out as pantsers, um, you know, in the sense that it's kind of like it's it's that, that, you know, jumping into the the craft and all of that kind of stuff. And um, 
it's an interesting thing. I mean, you know, we've talked before about the fact that I probably do more outlining uh, plotting now than I ever used to. Um, as I've, you know, gone on and developed my craft and stuff, I've, I've realised where some of the where some of the potholes are, so to speak. Mm. So there are certain things that I will um, think about a bit in advance now, not always um, as much as I probably should. But um, it doesn't surprise me that so many writers are pantsers because I just think one of the great joys of um, of writing is learning what's going to happen next as you go. And for me, that remains, you know, the joy of it. It's like reading a story that you're writing at the same time. Um, so, yeah, I'm not surprised. Um, I, I do wonder if we asked those same people in, you know, five years' time, yeah. if they still wrote exactly the same way, whether that would be necessarily the case, I'm not sure. But um, I would say that uh, I am completely unsurprised by that and welcome to my team. <laughs> and also, as people go on and they become more successful and publishers want, you know, a book a year or sometimes sometimes even more, but let's say they want a book a year, that is a hard deadline versus the, the very first book someone writes, which they don't know yes. is going to get published or not. That's and when right. you have a it's- hard deadline, you have to deliver. That's right. And you and you also, yeah, you, you don't necessarily have the time to wallow in those potholes mm. that, that, that you used to have. Um, you know, we, we've discussed many times my poor old um, Quinn in book two of the Mapmaker Chronicles mm. down that deep dark hole. Um, but I, you know, I, I try very hard to avoid those massive chasms um, these mm. days because I don't have you know, 50 kilometres worth of dog walking to actually work out what's <laughs> going to happen next. Poor old Scott. <laughs> Procrasty Pup is also, you know, he's, he's a bit older now. I don't know if he's got the boundless energy for that kind of stuff anymore. I have to look after my writing companion. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, and you have an interesting link for us which you wrote for Tonic Mag, Al. I do. I have a I have a post that I wrote called No, It's Not Too Late to Write That Novel. Um, mm. And I wrote this because I I think it's one of those things that a lot of uh, a lot of writers, you know, think they, you know, they see young young writers winning prizes, and there's always a lot of pr- uh, publicity around, you know, the 21 year old that produces a a, a novel or you know, book or prize winning novel, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and you sort of start to think, oh, have I left it too late? You know, how can I possibly do this in the midst of my current life, which usually involves day jobs, children, you know, parents, the whole bit. Um, and so I decided that I would uh, write uh, four times. Mag, which is a, a, a website magazine um, aimed at, you know, um, people who are sort of 40, 45 plus. Um, and I've, I I wrote about my own experiences, but I also wrote about the experiences of uh, several other fantastic authors uh, whom we have, you know, actually interviewed, um, I think, all three of them, uh, Imbi Nimi, Bren McDibble and yep. uh, Joanna Nell. Yep. And I talked about the fact that, you know, I, I remember very clearly the day I first started writing my first novel um, and I was like 23 and I was working as a receptionist in Leicester, England at the time because I was backpacking around Europe and doing all that and I was bored out of my brain. And so I began uh, writing and I, if long term listeners of this podcast will remember that the first thing I ever wrote was a romance novel mm-hmm. about Celeste, who was fond of winter white suits, and her <laughs> hero Dan, who was a pub owner who drove a slick black ute. Honestly, it was a great story. <laughs> it was really good. I should actually I should pull it out and read some of it to you one day. Maybe I can do a story sessions with my first ever manuscript. Yes. <laughs> um, but I also remember very clearly the day I heard the words "You're going to be a published author," and I was. 43, um, and I was a mum of two, and uh-huh. I had just written my first children's novel, so quite different from Celeste of the Winter White Suits. So, <laughs> you know, I just talk about, I, I, I went, sort of went through my process, you know, and about the fact that, you know, the great thing about writing, whether you do it for your own pleasure or professionally, is it doesn't have a shelf life. It is the mm. kind of thing you can just keep doing. Um, you know, it's not like running a marathon. There's not a day that you wake up and think, yeah, no, I can't do that anymore. Um, and Imbi Nimi, of course, who we, we spoke to uh, earlier this year, was, you know, 49 years old when her debut novel mm. was published in June this year. She won the Penguin Literary Prize and that yeah. sort of like has uh, catapulted her into published, into being a published author. Um, children's author Bren McDibble was also 49. She won the Ampersand Prize for a YA thriller. Um, um, which didn't hit the, the shelves until she was 51, and then mm. it went on to win three major awards. Um, and her children's novel, How to Be, 
uh, came out the same year and it also won huge numbers of awards within a couple of years. Um, mm. So the I guess the, the point of the story is that it's about what we tell ourselves as much as mm. anything. It's about, you know, how we look at the world of publishing and think, is there a place here for me? Have I left it too late to get in the door? Um, it's about the excuses that we tell ourselves as well, which, you know, one of which, of course, is that I don't have time to write a novel. I've left it too late. You know, I'm too old and I can't fit it into my life. Mm. Um, and Joanna Nell, of course, um, whose uh, third book, The Great Escape from Woodlands Nursing Home, came out recently. Um, you know, she uh, th- she's 54 now. Uh, mm. She was just 50, nearly 57 when her first novel, The Single Ladies of Jacaranda Retirement Village, was published. And she uh, was a full-time GP with two children. And so she mm. felt she had no time. And, like, frankly, did she have time? Like, that's a, that's a pretty tough gig. Um, and then she sort of talked about the fact that she had, a, had an accident left her lying flat on her back for six weeks and she started writing because, you know, she'd had the moment to jump off. And then once she jumped onto that writing kind of, you know, treadmill, she Mm. kept going because she wanted to do it and she couldn't put it off any longer. Um, The second excuse, of course, is that we feel like a fraud. Like we feel like, you know, how can I possibly, like I'm, you know, 43 years old, how can I possibly be a writer, you know, or or I'm doing something else. Um, Mm. And Joanna Nell said, you know, she's a GP and she was felt like a fraud for daring to assume she could be a writer. You know, Mm -hmm. it was, she'd done no formal training. She was never done a literature degree. She wasn't a journalist. Mm. Um, And, you know, I think it's that whole thing of like, um, you know, pushing through that and and writing, you know, doing those. I mean, Joanna obviously uh, completed some online writing courses with the Australian Writers' Centre, which prompted her to write a series of short stories and then to have a crack at a novel. Um, Nemi just, you know, got to the point where she was 36, her youngest child was four, and she started writing a blog. And because she started mm-hmm. writing the blog, um, it kind of, like she says, you know, strengthened her writing muscle and then yeah. she was ready to kind of get on with, you know, writing long-form fiction. Um, and then the last excuse, of course, is always that we've left it too late. Never um, too late. Never too never late. Too young, late. Writer, young writers make headlines. Um, but, you know, the fact of the matter is that, you know, as Bren McDibble says, you know, you need to build up writing stamina and tune into what you can offer. And obviously, yeah. you know, as you go through life, you build more experiences, you build more more sort of um, interests, you build more thoughts about things. And, mm. you know, she says it's about tapping into your unique perspective on a subject. Wheels don't need reinventing. Mm. So you've got to ask yourself, are you too old to begin or are you too scared to share? Because, you know, it's a, Ooh, you know, as Imbi Nemi says. That's a good question. Well, you know, writing is a very courageous thing to do Mm. and sharing your writing with friends and and submitting it requires even more courage. Like I wrote a blog post several years ago about how I think one of the greatest writing superpowers of all published authors is their ability, their courage to actually put their writing out there. Um, So, you know, are you too old to begin or are you too scared to share? Mm. That's a good one. I like that. That's it. That's my whole. Yes. That's that's my whole story right there. But if you would like Point to read the whole thing with all mm. the excellent quotes and the and if you've got if you're making those excuses for yourselves, we we do have some thoughts there on how to get over those things. So yes. um, you can visit tonicmag.com.au and you'll find the article there. And of course, Tonic Mag is the um, initiative of a whole group of people who were once the editorial team at Dolly. So I if know. you grew I up it. reading Dolly, this is like Dolly for now, <laughs> you know. Dolly for <laughs> Yeah, this is the same team bringing, that was in Dolly's heyday, really, bringing you um, relevant articles for this stage in life if you grew up reading Dolly, as we obviously did. <laughs> well, that's the thing. I'd have to look and see. I, I, did, I haven't had a good look through the whole site to see if Dolly, you know, have they got a tonic doctor? Ah! Dolly, remember the Dolly doctor pages? Yes. They were always oh extremely God. well read. Yes. All right. So um, let's move on to our give the giveaway this week. We have three copies of the book Word for Today by Rolly Sussex. For the first time, the best of ABC presenter Rolly Sussex—that's <laughs> a—that's a tongue twister. <laughs> Rolly Sussex's popular words for today program are collected in book form, a must-read for all language nerds. Did you know that the word salary comes from the Latin 
S-A-L, sal, for salt, since part of the payment to Roman soldiers was in salt, and that braces and suspenders used to refer to different items of clothing, or that trolls have migrated from fairy tales into online discussion forums. People probably do know that one. Mm. The English language is currently going through a period of tremendous ferment, growth and expansion. Mistakes and misuses are popping up with all the speed that the internet can provide. The best of these reflections on word origins, neologisms and misuses are collected in this witty and insightful book. With a word for today, you'll always have a word for tomorrow. So we have three copies to give away. Just go to writercenter.com.au slash win. Entries close on the 23rd of November. But if you go to writercenter.com.au slash win, in the future, don't worry, there'll be another competition there for you to enter. So get onto it. Now, let's move on to, hmm, Al, are you ready for the word of the week? Hmm, Val, okay, <laughs> I'm ready. Is that going to okay. be our new intro from now on? <laughs> hmm. Val. All right, it's sententious. S-E-N-T-E-N-T-I-O-U-S. Sententious. Do you know what it is? I don't think so because I think I have it confused with sentient and I have a feeling that that's not it. (laughs) No. So you might think that this is some kind of combination of senile and pretentious, but it's not. According to the Macquarie Dictionary, sententious is characterised by many pithy sayings or maxims. Huh. So you know those people who love peppering their conversations with famous quotes or mantras? Well, you might say about them, she has a very sententious style. Mm. Mm. You like Could that? Could that be you? Are you one of those people? No, I'm not. Are you sayings and maxims? But I'm not. Am I? I will. I no, I you're not. But I say that because my other podcast host for the podcast that I have, So You Want to Be a Photographer, she is, has a very sententious style. Does she? Yes. Give us an example of how you work that into photography. She opens every explanation with a quote. Wow. (laughs) That is sententious. Yes. Okay. So that, ladies and gentlemen, is the word of the week. This podcast is brought to you by the Australian Writers' Centre and our popular course, Creative Writing Stage 1. This course is the perfect way to unlock your creativity and explore the world of writing. You'll learn how to create memorable characters, believable dialogue and captivating plots, all in a supportive environment in this five-week online course with your very own tutor giving you personal feedback each week. Here's what Joanna Nell had to say. It almost sounds a little bit melodramatic to say, but... The discovering the courses at the Australian Writers really did actually change my life. Through discovering writing, uh, I have completely had a new career. I must admit that I feel a much more sort of fulfilled and and balanced person uh, as a result of that finding a channel for that creativity. The Creative Writing Stage 1 course was exactly the approach that I needed, that nuts and bolts, step-by-step approach. One of the things I found the most useful in the course was actually also one of the most terrifying at at, at the start which was giving and receiving of critique really is a very important way that a writer can improve the other great aspects of being a member of the Australian Writers Centre is that uh, that sense of community finding people who are like-minded your people your tribe I'm the author of The Single Ladies of Jacaranda Retirement Village which is my debut novel and so really it was completely a dream come true often meet many people who say that they would like to write a book but don't know where to start or they have a story but they don't have the time to do it. And I think that this is where somewhere like the Australian Writers' Centre can really show them the way to do it, and it certainly did for me. Uh, and I think I'm you know, living proof of what they can achieve. If you'd like to find out more, go to writerscentre.com.au slash writing. All right, Al, so who is our writer in residence this week? Oh, I'm very excited because I had a lovely, lovely chat with Monica McInerney and 
she, of course, is a, a best-selling author in Australia and the UK. And she, I discovered her, as I said, I think we talk about this in the interview, I discovered her um, years ago, like many, many years ago. Mm. And the reason I discovered her was that she had a book called The Alphabet Sisters. And I am an alphabet sister. My, I know that sounds bizarre, but my sisters and I are A, B, and C. Oh my um, God, I never. Did you not put know that? that? Did you together? not put that together? Oh my I God. I know. I remembered, um, I remember when I saw that book in the, um, you know, wherever I got it from, bookshop or whatever, and I read the back, then I was like, oh, there's more. Maybe this is a thing. Maybe there's more of us out there. Um, but yeah, we talked about, um, about uh, that that book, and we talked about her new book, The Godmother, and she's you know she's had an incredible career over many uh, years, and um, we talk about the different changes that she's seen in that time, and yeah, it's it's a great interview. So I hope you guys really enjoy it. Monica McInerney is the Australian-born, usually Dublin-based, international best-selling author of 12 published books. In fact, Monica is the sixth best-selling Australian adult fiction author since BookScan, which measures measures book sales began. She is currently celebrating her 20th anniversary as a published author, which is huge, and has a new book out with Penguin Books called The Godmothers. Welcome to the program, Monica. Hello, Alison. I'm very excited to talk to you today. I have to say I'm having a little fangirl moment here and, you know, I I don't often have them and our listeners, you know, will be able to say how rarely I have them. But I actually first discovered your work with the Alphabet Sisters, like about 700 years ago. Um, And it was a novel that I picked up because my sisters and I are actually, or, you know, back in those days before they changed their names, A, B and C, Tate. So I could really relate to this title. Um, And I think that was actually like your third or fourth novel. Um, So maybe we can start by going back 20 years, if we're going to go back into the mists of time, um, to your first novel and how it came to be published. Um, well, it's, first of all, it's lovely to meet a real alphabet sister. So thank you. I love that. Um, and uh, yeah, I always wanted to have, um, I'm, I have three sisters and three brothers and two of my sisters are M McInerney's and my mum is an M McInerney's. So it's always great to meet people that start with different letters. So <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah, the Alphabet Sisters was published in 2004. Uh, so that was my fourth novel. And my first novel uh, was called A Taste For It. And that was a romantic comedy. And uh, that was published first in Ireland in 2000 and um, and then in Australia and, and elsewhere. And uh, I wrote that in Tasmania, actually. Um, I've lived and um, travelled a good bit um, with my husband and, um, and we were living in Tasmania when I started writing short stories, hoping that they'd get published um, in magazines. And, um, and I was like a flight controller, Alison. I had stories coming in, stories coming out, rejections flying at me, like meteor showers. Um, but I kept going to the library and I borrowed so many books on, you know, exactly as this podcast is called, How to Be a Writer, How to Get Published, um, How to Find Your Voice, How to Keep Your Hopes Up When the Rejections Keep Coming. And I found them so valuable. And one of them did say, always have a short story ready to go so that when your rejection comes in, you're ready to, you know, get your hopes up. And uh, so that's what I did for for about three years, actually, from about 1996 to about 1999. And um, as I said, rejection after rejection. Uh, but I'd see now looking back that all of those short stories were like an audition process for me as a writer because I was trying all sorts of different styles. Um, I'd worked in book publishing for 10 years before that as a book publicist and I'd worked with a lot of literary authors, science fiction authors, children's authors, um, thriller writers. And I was trying a little bit of everything, I think, with my short stories. And back they were coming because the editors were obviously recognising that, you know, they weren't authentic to to, to me. Um, but, you know, taking my that advice, I kept kept writing. Also, I was loving it. It was just, you know, the fun of just coming up with idea after idea, um, before work, after work, during work sometimes. And, um, and then in very quick succession, I... Uh, short stories accepted and all of them had something in common that they they had a kind of dramatic subtext if you like there was a serious theme but they had a lot of dialogue and humor and then a twist in the tale as as those short stories often did have in magazines and um and getting those three suddenly accepted within two weeks actually um that gave me the confidence to start writing uh my first novel and that's the one that became a taste for it so 
why did you start with short stories like that? What, what was it that you, like you'd worked as a book publicist, you knew how books worked. What made you not sit down and go, I'm just going to start with a book? Why, why did you, why the magazine stories? Like why did you go through that audition process? I think it was a confidence thing too. It was a learning um, experience. I suppose if I was, you know, if you and I were talking about how to be an Olympic swimmer and I would say to you, you know, I started by doing lots of 50 metre um, fast 50 meters ones. And then I became a marathon swimmer that mm. I think I wanted to learn as much as I could. For me, it was a really good way of, um, because short stories are really hard. I've mm. discovered since that you have a very, very short, you know, obviously short period of time to create your characters, to, to spell out your plot, make something happen and, and then bring a resolution. So in a funny way, they're really good, um, experience, um, and a learning ground. Uh, but I wasn't aware of that at the time. I think it was, it was more that I thought, I, I think this is how I'm going to learn, um, about writing fiction and uh, and and so it turned out to be for me and I had the idea for a novel I wanted to write a romantic comedy because you know, this was um, uh, well 25 years ago actually is when I started writing like that had been published for 20 years but and I was loving reading romantic comedies at the time and I had the ideas um, bubbling for that novel but I think I learned a lot about what would become the structure for that first novel uh, through the practice of short story writing. Okay, that makes sense. So how would you say that your writing has changed and developed over, you know, you know you've just, you've got your 13th published novel coming out, you know, now, um, and 20 years, like it's a, it's a sizable kind of time to be working through writing a book. Because one thing I've noticed myself is that every time I write a novel, something different comes up as a problem for me. There's some challenge that's new that pushes me in a slightly different direction. So do you have you found that as you've gone through as well? It's always such a relief to hear that other writers have that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, every book is, is for the, it's like it's the first time, isn't it? Mm. Um, and, and that's what surprised me. I think like technically you've, you know, I've learned so much over those those 20 years. And as I said, you know, with the, with the years of short story writing as well, that, you know, you learn about um, point of view and you learn about, um, you know, as I said, resolution, characterization, dialogue and, you know, and the building blocks of a story. But I've discovered what a I discovered because it's been a really interesting time to be looking back over this 20 years and I've actually been doing a series on my social media of looking back at those each of those 12 books at the covers and where I you know the different because they look so different internationally and um, where I was when I wrote them and it's really taken me back personally about you know, who I was at the time I wrote each one of those like I'm, I'm 55 now so you know when I wish I was 35 and in my life, I've gone through lots of ups and downs, as everybody does over a period of 20 years. Um, you know, my, I wrote my first book while my father was dying, and it was published after he died. Um, there's been lots of different family sadnesses in that time. And because I write about families, my, my uh, genre, I suppose, is family dramas, family comedy dramas, lots of the time, I feel like uh, they are snapshots of my emotional life in some way. I can see... Um, you know, the way if you cut a tree in half and you can see the rings, you know, that yeah. was a good year, that was a bad year, that was a lean year. Um, looking back, I can think, oh, that's what was happening at that time. That's what was concerning me um, in the way that, that that I say that I don't write factually. My books aren't autobiographical, but emotionally they all really are. Um, so that's been interesting to look back at that. Um, in terms of the technique, absolutely, I've learnt with each time and I also have that um you know, with, with each new book, uh, I want to try different things. Like, you know, my initial books were romantic comedies, so they were just, you know, following the, a young man and a young woman, um, and most of the book trying to keep them apart, and then, you know, obviously they come, <laughs> come together at the end. And so they're really, you know, like they, you write those backwards almost because you know what's going to happen at the ending. Um, but with the other ones, you know, I, I wanted to step out a little deeper and try um, – you know, writing from different points of view, first person, um, lots of different, you know, from lots of different people's viewpoints, um, sometimes just from a you know, narrator's point of view. So technically trying different things, I've, I, I can see I've done that too. But, I'm, you know, I am uh, said my, my 12th novel, which is The Godmothers, um, that's coming out you know, very, very shortly. Uh, and I'm in this early stages of my 13th novel. And I'm as terrified <laughs> as, as I was at the start. So, I, you know, you learn and you don't learn, I think. Do you, has your process changed? Like, do you sort of still, like, where do you start when you write 
a novel and do you you know plot more or less than you used to are you like what sort of like is the actual process of okay I've got to start a new book where do I start like has that changed no, that's just the same. Um, and that process for me is that um, I don't plot my books out in advance. I know that a lot of writers do. And, uh, and I have a, a great writer friend in, in Ireland called Sinead Moriarty. And she writes almost like storyboards, um, like a filmmaker. She knows exactly what's going to happen in each chapter. I don't. And, you know, when we meet and talk about our writing lives and she'll say to me, you know, how can you write when you don't know what's going to happen? And I say to her, how can you write when you know what's going to happen? Um, so, you know, that's, that certainly, um, that is the same, that I, what I do is spend probably six months before I physically start writing each of my books, thinking about my characters. I think about my families. Um, each time it's a different makeup of a family. Sometimes it could be a single mother and a child. Sometimes it's a really big, sprawling, bohemian family. Um, for example, my book, um, At Home with the Templetons, that was a, a big extended family. Um coming up against a, a widow and her son. So that was a comparison between two novels, two families. And I thought and thought about each of those characters for a very long time before I actually physically, you know, opened the new folder and the new file and started. Um, because I like to do what I describe as a, an emotional explosion um, at the start of each of my books, that something big has happened to that family at some stage and the ripples are still coming out. Um, and that's where I start the book, but I've learned every single thing about every single character for six months before that, so I know how each of them are going to react. And that's probably as much plotting and planning as I do. Um, then it's a matter of I, I have them in, an, in, a, in a situation, I let off that explosion, and then I almost sit back like the writer and go, right, you know, let the fun begin. Okay, well, let's have a look at your new novel, The Godmothers, then, because there's, you know, there's secrets within secrets within secrets going on in that book. Do you always know what the final reveal is going to look like before you begin? Like, no. Is there – so you don't even – like, you don't no. even know what that's going to be? No, I don't. Wow. I've, I've got, I'm a great believer in that, um, that whatever the writer feels when they're writing a book – um, is, is that magical transference of, you know, words and pictures in my head into words on my screen, which become words in somebody else's hands, which turn into pictures in their heads, you know, the readers. And I really believe um, my books are emotional books and family, as I said, they're full of comedy and drama, but they, you know, they are emotional. And I, a great believer that, you know, when I, if I make myself laugh, you know, sadly sitting in my attic in Dublin laughing away to myself, <laughs> um, often, you know, that, that that's when people write to me, during that scene um there's a, a, a good few scenes in this book and in, in other books particularly you know the alphabet sisters the one um about you and your sisters um <laughs> that i cried and cried while i was writing it and i had so many emails from people saying they cried and cried and that's happened also with when a twist suddenly appears in a story um so the godmothers it's it's a it's a family mystery really it's the mm. story of 30-year-old Liza Miller who goes on an unexpected pilgrimage across the world to discover the identity of the father she never met um, and also the truth about her, her late mother's troubled life. And the, the, this, the mystery is, is she being helped or is she being hindered in this search by her two godmothers? So, there, as you say, there are lots of layers to it and there are lots of secrets and lots of lies being told throughout for all the different reasons that secrets and lies are, are told and kept. And I knew I wanted something particular to happen Um with Eliza's search, but I was completely taken by surprise. Um, and that's what I've heard from early feedback, that people, oh, my God, I didn't see that coming. Um, and I want to say to them, no, nor did I. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think that isn't, don't you think that's the magic of writing, though, that you can sit, you know, I, I knew that I was going to take Eliza, that Eliza was going to be pulled right out of her very deliberately very safe life in Melbourne, um, that, that fate was pushing her out of that. You know, she, the different things happen and she's got no choice. She has to up and go and finds herself in Scotland. Um, but I wanted to, you know, what's going to happen to her? I, I didn't know. I kind of followed her in some ways. It's a it's a novel that's like it's very much set in the present, but it's really the roots of it are so deep in the past. And I wonder whether that was a challenge to kind of get the balance right between those two things. Is it, was there like do you have to do a lot of editing? I guess when you write a first draft the way you write, um, I know for a fact like I'm in the middle of a first draft at the moment, and even as I'm writing it, I'm thinking 
there's going to be a little bit of heavy lifting involved here um, when I get to the next draft. Like, do you draft or do you, how does that uh, work for you? And I do 10, 15, 20 drafts yeah, of my books okay. over yeah. and over. Yeah, absolutely. And, yeah, there are a lot of um, – a lot of uh, not so much flashbacks, I guess, in The Godmothers, are they? But they're more recollections. Yeah. Perhaps that's the same thing. Um, and I wrote those um, because the, the two godmothers um, in, in the in – question from the title uh, were the best friends of Eliza's mother Jeannie and um, and they are slowly coming to terms with things that they knew about Jeannie and what to tell Eliza and what she should or shouldn't know and I wrote all of those as the book was unfolding um, you know to to show me what you know what happened between the three of those what was Jeannie like what kind of a person was she like um, and that's how I'd got to know them but I, I'd done a lot of that thinking in for that prior you know the six months prior when I was really getting to know the characters in, in the way that you know you're daydreaming and either shopping or traveling or something like that and um, you know possibly it looks like I'm looking out the the window but I was absolutely having seen after seen in my head you know what are they like when the three of them together what were they like at school what was their friendship built on um so i put loads and loads of those kind of recollections into the body of the book as i wrote it but not all of it needed to be there at the end uh so i always really overwrite um i tend to write at least 150,000 160,000 of each of my novels and then as each draft, back and back and back. It's like, you know, if I'm making a, a, a big fragrance soup, for example, and you put all your ingredients in and you've got to simmer, simmer, simmer down until only the richest of the ingredients are there. That's how I think about the writing process, that you've got to put everything in there um, and then let it simmer down and, you know, you'll take you'll take some bits out that won't need to be there. But the essence of them still is. Um, and I'm sure you found that, that, you know, in the first draft you're writing at the moment, you might end up cutting 1,000 words. Um, but in that, you know, what you've written, you might keep one sentence, but gee, that's an important sentence uh, that that makes the plot go in a direction. So, you know, no drafts are ever wasted in writing, I reckon. Um, and so, and, and I actually love that process because it's, it, you're kind of discovering the story for yourself, I think, when, you know, you, you write different scenes that you weren't expecting to write. So looking at the point of view, because um, your main character is Liza, who's 30-ish, isn't she? 31, about that. Um, 30. 30. So uh, the, gold, the godmothers are obviously older because they're the um, same age as her, as her mother or thereabouts. Um, and the point of view sort of switches around within the story. Is there a challenge in writing from the perspective of, of that 30-year age, like 30-year-old age group? Like, do you think things have changed for that age group a lot since you began, you know, writing your novels? What a great question. Yes, they really have. Um, and I'm not 30 anymore, you know. I'm not, I'm not I didn't the girl want to point like that to out. <laughs> <laughs> um, exactly. Like the godmothers are 53 and I'm, as I said, I'm 55. Um, I'm very spoiled in that I have 18 nieces and nephews um, of all different ages and uh, and I'm really close to, we're, you know, very big rambling family and we're very close and I have a lot to do with my nieces and nephews. And um, so I was, um, I, I observed them, um, but also I would, I could talk to them um, about, you know, how, how would this be for you in, if, you know, at your age, if you discovered this or you had grown up, you know, in these circumstances, how would you react? Because that's obviously not how I would react. Mm. Um, one, because, you know, just technologically, it's a different world for them. Um, travel was, e well, back in the olden days, pre-COVID, travel was easier for them too. Um, so it, it's, it's observation, I suppose. Um, all of my books do contain and feature lots of different generations. I'm very interested in that. I'm interested in the secrets between generations and the way uh, one generation deals with the next, you know, jumping be it great grandmothers, be it um, cousins, or in this case, as I said, non-blood, but important godmothers. And um, it's observation, Alison, I think. Mm. Um, and But as I said earlier, when I look back at the, my 20 years of being published, um, you know, I've, I started writing, I was newly married, um, you know, I'd been married about five years or something, and, and the world, you know, I wrote really joyous, fun, romantic comedies with, you know, with kind of a, a sombre undertone. But as I said, as my own life is, has taken those twists and turns that they do, and, you, you know, you suffer a lot of losses and sadnesses, um, so, so do the characters in my book. So... I can probably write most authentically about somebody in their 50s, as I am, um, but I do still remember what it was like to be, you know, to be that younger person. Do you, you, you mentioned the emotional kind of 
core, that, that emotional drive through your books. As you know, sort of like it's a, you know, there's plot and then there's this and then there's that and then that emotion is kind of like, you know, supporting everything, wind beneath the wings, so to speak. Um, and it's actually a very, very difficult thing to get right. Like I'm saying this from experience as someone who attempted romantic comedy but failed to get the emotional aspect right. But do you think that that emotion is actually the key to writing the kind of fiction that women respond to in droves, which is what you do? I think it's women and men who respond to any emotion. I'm always kind of cautious to say it's only women that like stories about real life, um, and, you know, whatever the different terminology. It's, I think at the moment it's been called domestic fiction and, you know, there's always different things. I actually remember writing um, uh, one of my novels. I think it might have been, in fact, it possibly was The Alphabet Sisters, um, which I wrote in Dublin. And um, and one of my nephews was overstaying with us and um, and I was – calling out to him from my office, you know, which was what adjoined the, the living room. And um, and I was saying, uh, talking about some different emotions that one of the characters was going through. Like, we, you know, this it wasn't just I sit in the office and shout out what I'm doing, but, you know, <laughs> it was an appropriate conversation. And I was saying that, you know, that, that she was uh, like it was it, it was the romantic element of that book. So it wasn't the story between the three sisters, but it was one of the romantic elements. And I said, um, you know, that she's feeling like that. And there was a pause. And my nephew, who was, you know, in his um, early 20s, just very quietly and calmly back said, but um, boys have feelings too, Monica. Yes. And he doesn't even remember saying, but that has stuck with me ever since that, that, you know, there's a, that you have to be careful not to assume that, you know, that it's the women are the emotional ones. Men fall in love. Men know what it's like to have the heartache and the joy of parenting and the loss of family members and all of those um, elements that make up, you know, certainly my novels, like I, a lot of my novels, all my novels feature male characters in some way, falling in love, making terrible emotional errors, making errors of judgment, uh, feeling lost, feeling lonely. Um, and, you know, I, I I know that there's a, an idea that men don't read, um, you know, women's fiction, but perhaps they should. You know, perhaps <laughs> oh, they no, might not I totally get a, agree. an insight into, you know, what's happening in their own households and among their 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 family members, but there is you know there's all sorts of literary snobbery which I'm sure you've explored many times on your podcast and and you know and we we you know we all we're all very aware of that 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 women's fiction can sometimes be dismissed as you know not counting compared to um you know some some male writing um and I'll I'll argue against that you know to my dying day I think we are all we're human emotions they're not specifically female or male emotions. Oh, no, I completely agree. But I guess the only reason I ask that question is because the, you know, your uh, marketing is very obviously like your covers, your um, is very obviously kind of women focused. And that's the only reason I ask the question. Is oh, yeah, not, I agree. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, that, you know, the, 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 the facts um, back it up entirely that it's women who buy most fiction. A lot of men don't buy, you know, when, uh, read novels. Um, I've got a joke in my family with my three brothers, you know, when I'm in mean, this stage, you know, we've all given up. We know they're not going to read them. But um, my uh, <laughs> one, my brother, I, you know, I was going to get him like a copy, copy of Tractor Weekly that he could put in front of the book so he could read it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but now one of my brothers travels a lot for his work and he, you know, he, he very, um, cheerfully reads them on the plane, um, with the covers and, you know, and I really love that he does that. Um, so yeah, I think so too. I think, um, uh, you know, there's a, there's a kind of a look to covers, um, and it, but it's a, it'd be an interesting, uh, experiment, I think, that if, you know, a book was given a different cover that appealed to men, would they, you know, would they read it, um, it's a, that's a, a whole other conversation, I reckon. It is. I think we could probably do that one for days as well. But um, I guess it does lead me to my next question, which is, you know, what you think the key is to a long career as an author? Because, you know, 20 years in publishing, you know, continuing to be published is a really good, you know, track record. I mean, have you had to adapt to changes in publishing over the years? Like what, what sort of – what? tell us all your secrets, Monica. I want to know how to do it. Very much. I mean, I'm still adapting. I think, I mean, it, I, you know, in terms of, again, you know, looking back over the 20 years, and I remember when I sent off my first manuscript, which was being edited, and um, and I printed it out and put it in a box 
and posted it. You know, the idea of that just is so funny now. And, you know, and waited for two weeks until it had, because I wrote that in Tasmania and, you know, rang my, my publisher in Dublin. Have you got it? Oh, no, it's not here yet. You know, we're waiting for the post to arrive. Um, like the idea of that now compared to, you know, the way I send off my manuscripts now when I finish when I, you know, with, uh, with you know, one press of the keyboard key and it goes to my agents and my different publishers all at once. Um, you know, that still feels pretty miraculous to me. Um, I think it boils down for me, it boils down to is that uh, I just, I love writing. I love it. I love how I feel when I'm absolutely immersed in writing a book. Um, I'm at my happiest when I'm plotting a book, when I'm deep inside the writing of it. Um, it feels like I'm doing exactly what I should be doing it's it's there's nothing like that immersion of um when uh, there's always a point in every book like there's the excitement when you start each new book is this you know is this idea going to work am I going to see that through to the end the idea that anything is possible which it is in fiction you know mm. absolutely anything is possible and there's not many times in your life that you can think that um and that has never left me I after you know after 20 years of being published, 25 years of writing. Um, you know, I, I wrote my first book when I was eight and I can still remember the joy I felt with that, you know, with that book. I, I can do anything. Um, and so that's pretty special. Uh, and I think, I think that's the key to longevity, to love what you're doing. Um, and absolutely, there's been ups and downs for me, um, you know, everything from shocking reviews to um, books being rejected, rejecting books myself, um, publishing deals not happening the way you'd expected, um, books, you know, that you had a lot of hopes for and not, you know, not getting the sales that you might want them to, um, like everything that, you know, all the ingredients that make up the life of a writer. Certainly, I've felt all of those. But the the consistent thing has been is that every time I've sat down to write a new book, I've felt that absolute feeling of joy. How, so is it just that? Is is that? And I'm, when I say just, I don't actually mean to kind of belittle that because that's a massive thing, that joy of writing. But is that what brings you back every single time, even when you get terrible reviews, even when you like? How do you how do you bounce back from a terrible review or a book that doesn't sell well? Or like, do you have to look at yourself in the mirror and say, Monica, it's all right. You can do this. Like, how do you, how do you work through that? I think you make sure you've got people around you that support you. I'm very lucky. My husband's a journalist and, um, and, and, and brilliant, really kind and, but a very honest man. And also my, uh, my younger sister is also my first reader. And I, they've been with me from the very start in terms of, you know, through, through my writing career, if you like. So yeah. they read my very first um, manuscripts um, and they read them now. So they're always the first two people to read them and I trust them implicitly. Um, and, you know, so if they say, look, I don't think that's working, I believe them. Um, so I think that's really important to have people around because you do have a lot of self-doubt as a writer and, and why wouldn't you? You know, you're sitting, it's just you and your imagination um, and it can get a little confusing in there, like real life and imagination overlapping, and 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 it's you know, sometimes you do take risks with you know storylines. I know I have, and and techniques and different sorts of points of view, and wanting to and with me because I want to step out a little deeper. I want to add more layers with each book, and so sometimes that's a risk that I'm taking in terms of you know my storytelling. Um, so it is really helpful, I think, to have people that you know that you trust um, that you can talk about those things. You've also you just have to not not even grow a thick skin. You just have to um, just learn to dust dust yourself off if you do get setbacks. I think because it happens to everybody. You know, I um, no matter what no matter what job you're in. Um, you know, I mean, who would want to be in charge of public health policy at the moment? Not I me. wouldn't. You know, <laughs> um, I think I think we have the best job in the world because one, we're you know, we can it's so portable. Two, we can do it. Um, you know, we can do it at any hours, and we're safe at home with our writing. Um, so I think quite early on, I realised um, this is a very privileged position that you're in. That you know, that I was able to work full time as a writer pretty early on, and I thought I'm never taking that for granted. So some of it's about just being. Um, very realistic about how good it is, really. And have you um, ever been in, in the position where your first readers have read your manuscript and gone, yeah, no, nah, this is not really working at all? 
Yes, I have. I have three times actually. Um, my first, I, when I wrote my second book, which I, 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 um, I had been contracted for two books when I first got published. I, I came runner up in a writer bestseller competition out of Ireland. That's how I got my start. And I was given a, uh, I was contracted for a three book deal for that one. And um, I was writing that book um, at the time just after my father had died when uh, and I had never felt grief like that when my dad died. Um, our, our whole family solar system changed, and I had never, you know, like it was a, you know, I was, it was just very, it was, I was 35, so I was a grown woman. Yeah. Um, but I, it rocked me so much um, at how sad I was. And I was trying to write a romantic comedy at the time of that, um, mm. of that. And, also, I was very excited to have a publishing deal, and they, my publisher, actually was the one that, that said that said she actually rang at my agent at the time and said, "Is Monica okay?" Because I had put every single idea I'd ever had into that second novel, and it was there was a kind of not a not, like a kind of a wildness to it, and and that I see now was the grief, you know, being written out of myself. Too, you know, too many things going on. I, you know, it was like sixteen different genres in one, and helicopter chases, and you know, more things. And it was honestly, it was quite. I don't, you know. So they said, look, I don't think this is going to be a good follow up to your first novel because, um, and I needed to rewrite that. But that was such a good lesson to me because I had to rewrite very quickly, take the theme, the ideas, but do it in a different way. Um, but. Fortunately, I had, you know, I, I worked for a long time before I became a writer in lots of writing jobs in public relations, journalism, etc. So I was used to deadlines and um, and things being changed. So, I, you know, I just thought, okay, I can't be, I can't be precious about this. I just have to look at it with a cold eye. Uh, so I did that with that one. Most, uh, I, about midway through my career, about 2006, again, I, um, I got my husband and sister to to read something that I'd written. It was a short book I'd been commissioned to write, actually, for the Books Alive campaign. And they both came back independently and said, I don't think this is working. I can see what you're trying to do, but you're not going to, it's not working in that short space of time. And that was really tough to hear because I had a very, very tight deadline. But I just locked myself away and, and I love the book that came out of, out of the ashes of that book, actually. And then more recently, um, in the, in the last uh, two years, I had, I had in fact written another novel before The Godmothers that I spent two years writing um, and had got to 200,000 words. And um, physically, it became really difficult to get up the stairs to my attic. I couldn't understand what was going on. Normally, I don't scamper up because I'm 55. I don't scamper <laughs> anywhere. But um, I, um, you know, I, I, I like, I, I had a physical reaction to going upstairs every day to work on that novel. And you know, and I'm sure you know this, there's always a point in every novel where you go, I don't know if I can do this, but you have to write way, your way through it. You write your way through that blockage and then, then then the light comes streaming in again. And I kept waiting for that to happen. And I made the decision myself after those 200,000 words that that book was never to see the light of day. Nobody's read that one, only I have. Um, I didn't show my husband or my sisters. My sister, um, I let my agents and publishers know, I'm so sorry, I know you were expecting a book from me, but um, I, nobody can read that, please, because... It had been a time of great sadnesses in my husband's family and I was surrounded by grief and heartache and the book reflected that. Um, wow. it was very thousand words. Yeah, it was. It was a very, um, very you, long. Did you cry? And very, I actually felt mostly just enormous relief when I made the decision. I walked downstairs one morning and just said to my husband, "I'm, um, I'm, I'm I didn't use the word ditching, but I said, I'm, you know, I'm, I can't do anything with that book." And he's obviously been through there with me lots of the books and said, "You know, no, okay, just get through this bit." And we talked about it, and he said, "I think you should keep think about it for the weekend. Don't, you know, don't write about it." And as it turned out, we were actually. Um, just coincidentally traveling to Bristol, which is where a lot of the book was set in the UK. We were going for a wedding and I spent the whole weekend. I went off on my own outside the wedding uh, and visited all the locations in the book. And I said goodbye to each of those characters and said, I'm sorry, I can't, I can't do this with you. And, um, and that was, so that book has never seen the light of day. Nobody's ever read it. It's on my computer at home. Um, I haven't deleted it yet, but, uh, but it was a book I had to write, but nobody else ever had to read and I think, and it's taught me a great deal about what creativity is. Creativity isn't always for, uh, to be, you know, to be published or for public eye. Sometimes it's about using every atom you've got in yourself to make sense of the world. And that's what that book was for me, I think. Wow. 
I'm yeah, wow. That's a um, because that's a difficult thing. That's a really big decision to make, particularly when you know that people are waiting for it and um, you know, all of that kind of stuff. That must have been a, a huge, as you say, a huge relief once you'd made the decision. It really was, Alison. It was, um, I felt, I actually felt a kind of that joy that I talked about with the joy of writing because I had lost the joy and I thought, I don't know if I, um, maybe I've just got to stop writing. Maybe this is, this is, this book is telling me, no, you just don't want, you know, you don't want to do this anymore. And, uh, and I felt really sad that if that was the case, but what that book did teach me was, no, um, you needed to write all of that, you know, all of the, that, that, those very, difficult feelings out of yourself um and then when I sat down to write start the book that became the godmothers it was I felt like a different person um yeah. you know, again I, it was a it was the, the joy came back and I had that great feeling like ah now um I mean I have to confess it, it absolutely shook my confidence um when I had that uh, you know, having made that decision after working for two years and 200,000 words. I mean, it wouldn't have ended up 2,000 words. I would have distilled it and distilled it with all the different drafts. But I knew, um, so I've never been more certain that that book was not for publication. Um, and starting afresh, um, I I didn't know if I could do it again. I started listening to podcasts like yours. I watched lots of YouTube tutorials, how to write a novel. I just thought, I don't know how to do it. And my husband came up once and he said, Monica, look at look at that bookshelf beside you. There's, it's full of books that you've written. <laughs> okay, but I'm you sure. can do this. <laughs> yeah, I did. And but it was a real. You know, I felt like I was starting from scratch. And in fact, looking back, I think I probably feel like that at each book. But my confidence was so shook after making that decision that with with that book. Um, but my publishers were very supportive. My agents was you know they were great. They said you're very brave um, to do it, but we back you all the way. Um, and and it was the, I think it was the best thing I could have done. I could, would have found it very hard to see that book in um, out in the world and to talk about that book uh, that I that the book that never was because that's not what it belonged to. As I said, it was it taught me about what creativity is, how how it can be an expression of of other things. Speaking of having books out in the world, uh, like the Godmother is Godmothers is actually you know is on, is is out. Um, sorry, I'm about to cough, so excuse me. Do you still get nervous when a book comes out like is there like you've had you've been through this process so many times now are there still nerves involved oh absolutely I those feelings don't change at all and again I think that's why I I love to keep going like I I never feel jaded about it I have to say that's the exciting like it's familiar feelings but there's still nothing like the first time you hold the finished book in your hands there's nothing like the first time you see your book on a bookshelf um I always feel sick waiting for the first review to come in um, and to get, you know, getting feedback from people. Um, you know, I know that the law of averages are that not every, I don't like every book I read and I read, you know, two or three books a week. So I can't expect everybody to love my book, but oh, I want them to. <laughs> no, I'm um, still waiting so, for the, it's perfect. Oh, yeah, like exactly. It's like, and that's be never going to happen. Um, so, oh yeah, all of those feelings are still very fresh. Um, you know, I still, like, I, I, I love social media for the, 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 the closeness it makes me feel with a reading community, you know, people that read my books, but we talk about a lot of other books on my, my social media as well. And, um, and, uh, you know, I love that that it's still a book discussion. Um, that it's all about the you know the joy of reading. Uh, but no, I never. I don't take one of it. I don't take anything for granted. And it's still yeah, the nerves, are, the excitement, and the um, terror are still as strong as they ever were. <laughs> so, with your social media, where can people connect with you? Like, if our listeners out there would like to find Monica McInerney, where will they find you? Um, I'm on Facebook and um, and I really enjoy that. I do, uh, you know, talk to lots of readers on that and put up different posts, you know, every every day, every couple of days. And uh, so Facebook and Instagram uh, are the, the two things that I really enjoy, the two social medias I really enjoy. Fantastic. And, and we always say if you're going to do social media, just do the ones that you enjoy because otherwise it's just really hard work, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. I tried Twitter for a little while, but it um, terrified the wits out of me, so I hopped off. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're going to finish up today, Monica. Thank you so much for your time. It's been absolutely an absolute pleasure talking to you. I'm so in awe of you trashing 200,000 words. I can't even speak. But um, <laughs> let us talk about your final question of the day, your top three tips for writers. Mine are very simple. Uh, tip one, read 
read, read. Uh, it's so important to read widely, read often. That's that's where you learn how to write is by reading. Um, the best university in the whole world for a, 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 an emerging writer, a beginner writer, is it's the, a library or a bookshop. That's You just go in there and you'll find everything you need to know about reading other people's work. So read is my first tip. My second one is write. To be a writer, you actually have to write. Um, and you can, you know, I, I teach writing courses in Dublin and, um, and, a lot of times, you know, the students might say, well, I just can't find the time to be a writer. And then I said, then then don't, you know, you don't have to if you don't want to. But if you want to be a writer, it's about writing. If you don't take it seriously, nobody else is going to to take your writing seriously either. So you have to honour that that creative process, be it an hour a day uh, or set yourself a goal with, you know, I set myself a daily word count goals and that's what keeps me going. That's what keeps me gives me that momentum through each book. Um, so you have to write. And the third tip is edit. Um, no book is ever perfect in the, in the first draft. Um, there's no way. How can it be? You've made up an entire world um, out of nowhere. You've, you know, you've created a whole set of, of lives and stories out of nowhere. You're never going to get it right. So you have to be prepared to edit and to know that that is what every, every writer goes through. So it's read, write and edit. Fantastic. And just out of interest, what is your daily word count? I do 2,000 words um, as my, uh, when I'm particularly at the start of each of my my novels, because uh, you can find every distraction in the world, you know, I I better go and, you know, sort out my entire um, bookshelves before I do this, but, or it's time I did the washing or, you know, all the things, (laughs) there's so many ways that you can, um, I, I heard an English writer once talking about how um, she rang one of her friends that she they were supposed to be writing, they were supporting each other, and she rang her friend and said, I'm polishing the teaspoons. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds about right. That's the kind of thing the I dark would do. Side with that. But I find a, yeah, a daily word count of 2,000 just gives me that goal. Um, and if I do that, you know, before 11 o'clock, super. But if I'm, I won't let myself leave the desk until I've done that every day. And then sometimes once the story's up and running and you're chasing after it, um, you know, I can do up to five, 6,000 a day. Um, but I do find that that, that just gives you that structure um, that's really helpful um, with, with the you know with the, with the long the long haul of writing a novel. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for your tips and all of your insights. And best of luck with the new novel, The Godmothers, out now. And um, I hope it you know does brilliant things for you. Thanks very much for your great questions, Alison. There we go, Monica McInerney, awesome. Now, Al, I'm still coping with the fact that it's A, B and C that I never put, I never just joined the dots. <laughs> I can't believe it. How, how many years have you known me? And also, like, I'm not sure if you've ever met my sisters, but you certainly I have. Know of course sisters. I have. Oh, sisters. my God. Have you met both of them? I think so. They were at um, the um, meetup that we did at the... Oh, yes, they were yeah. too. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You have to, yeah. Yeah. And I've met Bronwyn other times as well. Yes. Um, No, but uh, I, this reminds me, this is not quite alphabet, but it's a little bit unusual in terms of the way you name your children. Um, I remember uh, when I was working overseas once, there was a professor, because we used to interview him for for Cleo, um, and his name was, um, so he was a professor Atomic. That was really his name. His first name was Atomic. Atomic. Chan, uh, and he named his children. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Yeah. Proton, neutron, and electron. No, no, (laughs) no. That is not true. You made that up. It is true. I did not make it up. (laughs) That's a children's book. Imagine going through life called Proton, Neutron, and Electron. (laughs) That's fantastic. All right. Nobody is allowed to steal that. I'm taking it. All right. My story. But I'd be, oh fa- I'd be fascinated to know if there are any other alphabet sisters or brothers out there because I um, I mean, I do have a brother as well, but he's not in the gang. He, he, he's not a D, which, for which he is forever grateful, oh. let me tell you. Um, he's actually an M. But, um, yeah, I, I, are you an, an alphabet sibling of any kind? Because it, yeah. it, was a fast, it was actually quite interesting when we were growing up and we'd be, you know, put, signing our names up for things and they'd be like, seriously, A, B and C? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's us. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, yeah, do let us know. We'd be keen to find out if there are other alphabet siblings out there. Yeah, alphabet siblings. 
All right. So this is almost at the end of this week's episode, Al. What are you doing in the coming week? Oh, that's a good question. Hopefully coming up with a title for my book would be awesome. Um, that'd be good. Uh, yep, that's <laughs> probably going to be my focus actually at this point. Um, and, yeah, I'm just I'm actually starting to think about the dreaded Christmas. I'm actually thinking oh, about that. Oh, gosh. I well, you know, that to, far ahead. Well, it kind of has to be done. It's, it's only four or five weeks away. And, oh, um, my God. I know. And How did that, what happened to this year? I don't, I honestly, I don't know. I don't know how we got to this point again. Uh, last mm-hmm. year was great because we, of course, were overseas. We went to, oh, yes. um, we were travelling and mm. and I've got to tell you, that was a great way to do Christmas. I really liked it. Yes. Um, yes. But now I'm back and uh, Christmas is going to be at my house this year. So there will be the inundation of all the alphabet siblings and their <laughs> various offspring and parents and whatever. Um and yeah, so I'm, I'm I kind of got to get my head round <clears throat> ordering the ham. And I, can mm-hmm. when I say those words to you, does that mm-hmm. just bring to mind for you the fact that we've been doing this podcast for a very long time? Because yeah. I reckon we've had at least three or four conversations <laughs> about ordering the ham. I'm sure we have. Oh my god! Yeah, geez. Mm-hmm. Mm. I can't believe I, it. Really has felt like the year just started. Somehow I know. for me. Well, yes. I know, I know. Well, you know, there's only a few more weeks left of school for mm. the for the term, which, again, I, I'm, I'm very, ex- I'm actually excited about that this year. It's just, it's been a really long and difficult year, um, school wise, and so you're excited I'm, for school holidays. I am, and did, and Why? I can honestly say that in 363 episodes of this podcast, have I ever said that before? No, no. because no. I just feel as though. Um, we all need a break. Like as I said, it's been really tough for parents this year, school-wise. Um, even outside of Victoria, Victoria was its own very difficult situation with all the lockdown and everything. Mm. But I think even outside of Victoria, um, with COVID and all the various things going on in the world, it has been a very difficult school year, and I am very much looking forward to it being finished. Wow. Mm. Okay. Mm. I've never – who are you and what did you do with Al? I don't know who I am, but I am just – like I honestly never thought I would get to the point where I'd be like, yep, I'm really looking forward to having to the to six weeks of my children being here whinging at me. But oh I suspect God. that that will be easier than what, what the, the, than what we've been doing for the rest of the year. Yeah, right. Okay. Right. Well, yeah. it'll be oh. upon us before we know it. All right, yeah. where do we find you online, Al? You'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. You will find me on Twitter at, at altait, A-L-T-A-I-T. You will find me on Facebook and Instagram at Writer. And you, Val, where will we find you? You'll find me at Valerie Koo, that's K-H-O-O, on Twitter and Instagram and over at ValerieKoo.com. And, of course, if you haven't yet joined our Facebook group, the wonderful listener community, make sure that you do that because it's free to join and it's great to have people from all over the place who love writing um, and some great discussions happening in there. Just go to Facebook and search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. We'd love to have you in there. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we look forward to chatting to you again next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writercentercomau slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentercomau slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more. <laughs>